Textile Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Deus Textile Podcast, a place where some of the most progressive and innovative builders, thought leaders, and traders in the crypto space come together to discuss all areas of the crypto industry. Whether you're into DeFi, Layer 1s, Layer 2s, NFTs, or anything in between, we've got you covered. And as a reminder, nothing said on this podcast should be construed as financial advice or as a solicitation to buy or sell any digital asset or security. The comments, views, and opinions expressed by the hosts or guests on the podcast are their own. As always, you'll need to do your own research. Now, with that out of the way, let's get to the episode. All right. Hello. Welcome, everyone, to the Deus Ex Style podcast. I'm Nighthawks. And along with my co-host, Ace, we're excited to welcome our guest, Simon Judd, from the Index Co-op community um, to the show today. Ace and I are both core members of Deus Ex Style, which is an invite-only decentralized investment syndicate of crypto-focused individuals. Um, we have a lot to cover today. Um, we want to learn about Simon's crypto journey and his background and what brought him to Index Co-op and helped build that community out into what it is today. And um, what we want to focus mainly, though, on is DAOs in general and um, what it's like working in a DAO, what it's like bringing a DAO into well-developed organization and community and um, what it is to, where, where are the pain points um, what are the benefits and, and where do we see DAOs going in the future? And also what are the hiring and recruiting process like is in that world in comparison to the traditional finance world or traditional corporate world. Uh, but before we get into all that, Simon, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Nighthawks, Ace, awesome to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm stoked for this one. Awesome. Cool, man. Um, can you give us Simon. just a little bit about your background, your crypto origin story, and sort of how you found yourself where you are today in the crypto world? Yeah. So I, um, you know, it, it's it's a it's a great journey. I, um, you know, graduated university with a with a degree in philosophy, and after after I graduated, I um, I joined the United States Marine Corps as an infantry officer. Um, you know, I spent six years in the Marines. Um, had, had just an awesome experience there, and. You know, towards the end of my career, I, I remember really distinctly, I'd just gotten back from deployment in like 2017. And um, I was stationed in Hawaii at the time. And I remember like, I would like my Marines were like cleaning their weapons after deployment. They were getting ready to tournament. And they were all like talking to like, hey, did you see this thing, Ethereum? It went like 100x. And, you know, there's this other coin and we traded it and like they were starting to get super fired up because it was like right at the start of the bear, the bull, the bull market. And I remember like I was like, what are these guys talking about? What is this? Um, so, I, so I went home and, and we had like three weeks off after deployment. So I spent those entire three weeks just like diving into the Ethereum community, learning everything about it, um, you know, buying as much as I could at the top of the bull market. Um, but at the time I really didn't have the context to understand what was going on. Um, I didn't have a very, you know, strong background in technology. I, I didn't have a ton of exposure to finance. So I was very like outside looking in, um, you know, you fast forward a, a year or two, I got out of the Marines and I, and I went to NYU, um, for business school and at NYU, I, I was really focused on becoming just like this great investment banker. Right. 
And I, I, I was dived really into finance, got really, really into finance. And I spent the summer of 2020 working at an investment bank doing technology m and And that was the same time like DeFi summer was popping off. And I remember like, you know, all the time I was supposed to spend like doing like Excel models about these TradFi companies, I was spending just like diving into like Yearn and SushiSwap and like getting really into it. Um, so, so I got back to my second year of business school and I remember there was a point in like October, November where I was like, Hey, like if I don't pursue crypto, is it like as my life, like full time right now, I'm going to spend like the next five years of my life, um, you know, trying to get involved in this space. And so, so I, I, I made a, you know, really conscious decision that I was going to, you know, go all in on crypto. I was going to make it my life. Um, I ended up discovering a couple of just great communities right off the bat, like Badger Dow, Index Co-op, um, getting really involved. And, you know, within like two or three weeks of working in those DAOs, I was like, this is all I want to do. This, this is the future. Um, so I turned down my investment banking job. And, and since then, it's just been like the ride of a lifetime. Wow. That sounds like a familiar journey to a lot of people that got DeFi pilled in, you know, middle 2020, late 2020. And congrats to you for, uh, for taking the plunge. Um, do you, do you have any kind of like, uh, were there any kind of fears or, or, you know, people that are telling you you shouldn't go for it, um, at that time. And, you know, what, what kind of internal struggles did you go through before saying, you know what, um, I'm going to go into the new frontier and venture into this unexplored and uh, unproven space as a full-time crypto, uh, or I should say DAO member employee. That's a, that's like a fascinating question because it's like the space has changed a lot. Right. And like now, you know, leaving a job to get work in crypto is very different than it was two years ago. Um, so I remember very distinctly, I, I was in Manhattan it was the fall of 2020 and I was like just really diving in. Um, but like none of my friends were really into crypto. It wasn't like really a mainstream thing that people were doing. Um, and and I, I remember, so it was like mid-October, mid-November, I, I made the decision. I said, hey, like if I'm going to do crypto, I, I need to like be in an environment where all I'm doing is crypto every day. Um, so I, I made the decision to like move out of Manhattan and I actually, I moved to Mexico, um, for, for that entire year and, and really spent like every single day just doing crypto. And I like really, it was a conscious effort. Like I was like, I do not want to just be talking to people who are like crypto skeptical or like spend all my time convincing people how great crypto is. Cause like people go wrong there, right? Like they, you spend all your time convincing your non-crypto friends when you should be spending all your time with like crypto friends. Um, and, and that was like a real make or break for me. It was just saying, Hey, like I'm going to dedicate like every day to like learning about this and doing this and be involved in this. And I'm going to like structure my life around it. That's wild. Um, yeah, especially living in Mexico, I guess, uh, you're kind of in your own head and there's, there's like, on the one hand, it's, it's a good thing. Cause you're, um, you're in control of your decisions. And if you have that conviction, like there's nothing that could stop you. On the other hand, there's like nobody to uh, perhaps provide another perspective. Um, and maybe that's, that's like a good thing. If, if you're going to go all in on something, um, it might be the better route to just have no distractions. Um, I'm curious, like when you discovered index co-op, what was that 
contrast that, you know, in early, early days um, to say how things have developed over, you know, say the last couple of years, what, what was index Dow like, how did you even get in there initially? And um, what was it that drew you to the community? So at the time there were, there were a couple like communities that were starting to like get off the ground. So, you know, you think like yearn was like really, you know, the first, kind of DeFi focused DAO that, that really spun up. And that brought a lot of people in, but by like, you know, fall 2020, that was pretty established. Same with SushiSwap. And, you know, at the time it seemed like the, there were these up and coming DAOs that like really weren't like, there, there weren't that many people involved. It was just kind of, you know, one or two big posters, one or two people involved. And it seemed like it, from my perspective at the time, I was like, hey, if you want to place, find a place that you can really make an impact, you want to go somewhere where it's like still kind of early, where it's still developing and you can really like shape it. So, you know, in the fall 2020 at the Index Co-op community, there were probably four or five people that were posting on the forum. The community had just been launched. Um, it was very nascent. We, we hadn't even started doing community calls. Um, and And then like, I remember saying, you know, as I was getting involved with the community, I was like, you know, there's so much runway here. You can do anything with this. And that's what really drew me to it. That's, that's, that's really neat. And it's cool because you come to it from a different sort of perspective. I mean, I was, you know, an ace, I think you were too, participated in DeFi summer. And I think that most people were, you know, constantly hunting for something that looked undervalued or that we were the average crypto degenerate, let's say, uh, is out there hunting for something they think is undervalued that they're going to make some money on rather than, and, and your focus seems to be totally on with communities that have potential to grow and where you can make uh, serious contributions. So that's, well, um, go ahead. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like a bet on yourself, right? Absolutely. Like I think there, there, there's a bunch of different, you know, when I think of the DeFi ecosystem, there's a bunch of different players and like there's people who invest, there's people who like build DAOs, there's people who do these different things. And I think the idea of being at like finding like a really early stage project is you can say, hey, like this is so small and the community is so small, like the number of tokens in circulation is so small that like I personally can have this huge outsized impact on like the value of the token. And like, that's a really powerful realization, like going from the point where you're just like, okay, I'm just looking at the values go up or down. And I'm like trying to see like where the value, you know, what, why the value, you know, what's driving it to being like, I am going to be the force that is driving that value. So you mentioned there, you saw a lot of runway and I imagine there wasn't a whole lot of structure in terms of who was responsible for what um, and a lot of tasks to complete or a lot of ideas as far as how you could spend your time to create value. Um, for you as a community member, how did you, you know, get started? Like where, where did you uh, see the opportunity for yourself to contribute? Um, is that something that somebody re requested of, of the community or is it something you just um, sort of offered up to, to contribute? So I started just doing like the basics of the basics. Like we needed an FAQ. So, you know, I helped write the FAQ. We needed like slide decks for a weekly meeting. So I started putting together the slide decks. Um, 
And that, you know, I, I just gotten done with, with a, a, doing a lot of stuff with finance and, and investment banking. So it, like I found like that part to be pretty natural, like, okay, put together a slide deck, figure out what like some of the business plan is. Um, and then it just spiraled from there. Like, you know, I started to get really involved with our business development efforts. I started getting really involved with our fundraising um, and, and, you know, was able just to kind of really identify like where the gaps were and just, and just try and fill those gaps. How does, how does fundraising work for a DAO? Like, where are you going to get the uh, investors? Is that just open market token buyers or are you looking at, you know, more institutional investor types? So we, you know, throughout like the winter and spring of 2021, all our entire treasury was, was index co-op governance tokens. And myself and a few community members at that time realized like, Hey, that's, this isn't going to be sustainable in a bear market. Like if, if prices go way down, like we're going to really struggle to um, like survive as a DAO. Um, so in, you know, spring of 2021, myself and, you know, a few other community members basically put together a proposal said, Hey, like we're going to do a private token sale, um, to a number of different investors at a certain discount to spot. And, uh, you know, we're going to gather stable coins from those investors and that's going to be like our runway for the next year or two. Um, you know, so from there, it, it really worked like a, a pretty traditional fundraise, put together pitch deck, spoke to like, you know. 50 investors over the course of two or three weeks. Um, and, you know, we're lucky to get, you know, a number of really, really good teams on board. That's amazing. And yeah, I mean, clearly you guys made, the, <laughs> I guess you made a good decision for the DAO and, and also, um, you know, for the, the buyers of those tokens. Um, it seems like they're really, well, I, I don't want to jinx it, but there hasn't been a, a terrible a bear market quite yet. So it's a win-win. Um, yeah. So I guess the, uh, the next piece that I'm curious in learning about is, you know, as a core member of a, of a DAO, um, you know, what would it be like, what type of things you would look for from a community member? Um, and if they'd like to get involved, like, how do they, how do they get in there, first of all, um, you know, did you, did you guys have a process for that? Or is it mostly just like, hey, I showed up in the Discord and said, um, I want to help. How did it work at Index? I think it's the type of thing that really evolves over time. Um, so, you know, when we first started out, it, it was very much like there was no process. It was show up in the Discord and make as much noise as possible. Um, and, you know, over the last 18 months, you know, the community's really refined that to, to this really efficient onboarding process where, you know, there's a new joiner call that people go to, they sign up, they do certain tasks, they get, you know, deeper and deeper into the DAO. But at, at the end of the day, like what I, what I tell people about getting involved with the DAO and like what it takes is like, you just have to be relentless. You can't take no for an answer. Like I talked to so many community members who you know, they'll, they'll reach out to me and they'll say, Hey, Simon, like I'm, you know, just discovered crypto, just discover this DAO. How do I help out? So I'll do a phone call with them. And, and what I tell them is I say, Hey, spend like three months, just building context, learn about what's going on, talk to as many people as possible and like come back to me at the end of the three months. And like, we'll see where you're at. And without fail, they'll go, they'll disappear for three months. I won't hear from them. <laughs> And then they'll come back like three months later being like, Simon, 
all I've done is like read about this, this, and this. Like I've been, you know, talking to all these people. I'm working on like five things in the Dow. I'm like super involved. I just quit my job. Um, so it's 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 a cool process, but it starts with just like learning about it and like really gaining context. Yeah, that's amazing. It sounds like you really weed out kind of the the part timers versus the people that are all in from the start. If like if uh, they have to make a lot of noise. They have to do the homework. They have to be observers and really absorb the culture. They're going to be, you know, probably in the right mindset to contribute or like chomping at the bit um, after that quote three month, you know, <laughs> trial period is over. It's kind of like an internship, right? Like it's, it's, we, um, you know, everybody, it's like you couldn't show up at like a normal company and like, immediately start driving like CEO level decisions on day one, right? Like you just don't know what's going on. You don't have the context. Um, but the cool thing about the DAO is like after those three months, if you're really good, you can drive like CEO level decisions. It's just like you st everybody has to go through that process of getting up to speed. That is a super fascinating point to make because I think, um, interestingly, I'm the only person in the call here that has had like corporate job experience. I mean, hope, hopefully I'm not speaking out of turn, but Simon, it sounds like you did some some work for an investment bank, but you didn't do that full time, right? Yeah, like eight weeks, eight weeks of corporate. Okay. <laughs> so I always thought as a full-time employee, um, both from you know a new hire perspective or hiring someone is, wouldn't it be better to sort of have a, a trial coworker for six months just to see, you know, is that a right, is there, is it the right cultural fit? Um, is it somebody I wouldn't mind sitting next to, you know, for even virtually for the next uh, X years of my life? Um, are they going to put in the time? Are they going to be there when you need them to be like, as a dependable colleague? Um, those are things that in the, you know, I guess web two or the, the corporate working model, we never had the opportunity to, to really, to get. Um, so it's interesting that you contrast that kind of from the web three or from a DAO perspective where it's very much an opt-in um, model. Like they have to really want to be there. They have to demonstrate that they can, um, you know, contribute. And at the end of the day, if it doesn't work, it's like, there's no, there's no like commitment. You can just like wipe your hands. Um, either side can say, you know what, this isn't working. And, and like, there's no uh, there's no HR to step in right to <laughs> to clean up the the mess. So that's a really interesting point you make about um, that trial. Well, like one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Like if you think about TradFi or like Web two like that's why there's such a huge emphasis on credentials, right? Because you don't have like a really good way of getting people involved without like hiring them into the company. So like the way you screen people is you say, hey, you went to X school, you went to Y school, you had, you know, these grades, you did this, like we can, you know, be more confident that you'll fit in here. But even then, it's not a very good heuristic. Absolutely. Um, on In terms of credentials, like that's a that's a huge, I would say, weakness. Um for a lot of Web3 curious or even Web3 experienced um, in terms of like, we 
don't have the greatest like resume tools. I mean, we're starting to see stuff um, develop out of like on chain data. So where have you interacted um, in terms of like governance participation? Um, where'd you get rugged? Like, <laughs> so like the DGen blue stuff is, is super cool having a DGen score. Um, but like beyond those kind of on-chain metrics, like, did you see resumes that, you know, were very kind of TradFi or Web2 reminiscent? Um, or, or did you see stuff that was more focused on Web3? And like, how would you recommend people kind of prepare themselves um, beyond just showing up and, and doing the work? Like, what would impress you or, or draw you to somebody um, from a credentials perspective? So I, I think um, the credentials question is a, is a really good question. And I, I've really, my, my perspective on it's evolved a lot over time. Um, you know, I, I really see, I see crypto in like DeFi. It's, it's like a meta game, right? And there's different ways of playing the game and there's different ways of interacting with the game. And like, if you think about, so say you're like, one of the best Counter-Strike players or like Call of Duty players in the world. Um, you probably have like a in-game resume, right? It's like your kill streaks, like how many games you've won, stuff like that. But, you know, when you throw somebody into a new game, like a new Call of Duty game, like nobody's checking like what that player's resume is, right? They're just like, that guy's sick. He's crushing it. And like, that's like kind of the beauty of Web3 is like, you're not so much judged on your background, but you're judged on your like ability to play the game. And like, I see a lot of different resumes. I see a lot of different backgrounds and I see people with Sterling resumes just kind of like fail at web three and not be good. Cause they haven't spent the time like learning how to play the game and getting good at playing the game of DeFi or crypto. So the things that really impressed me is like when somebody comes and, you know, maybe they have a great background, maybe I don't even know their background, but they're able to like pick up the information and start like running with it and taking initiative like very quickly. Like that's what stands out. Yeah, that's, that's neat. And it, I mean, it, it kind of shows that the DAO structure flips the incentives set up in the traditional corporate world sort of on its head, because in DAOs you have the situation where people come in and it's all about, what sort of initiative are they taking here and now? And what is their, you know, performance off of that initiative here and now? And, and if, you know, it's, it's strong, then, you know, those incentives come and it's and credentials really don't matter. It's about what they, what they do. So that's really neat. Cause it's, yeah, it's so, it's so meritocratic, right? Yeah. It's like, I, I think about this a lot with my own career in crypto or my own, you know, my journey through it. So like, you know, I've been doing this for almost two years, right? It's not all like you're crushing it every day or like every day you're just like driving the most amazing thing. And I, I know like when I get frustrated personally, like, oh, I'm not accomplishing what I want to do. I'm not like where I'm, I want to be. I like you, you have to view it as like, oh, like this is like a signal to get better. Like this is a signal to improve, to get better at like the game of crypto. It's not, um, cause like if you're better, it will come. If you get really good, it does come. And it's just like, you, you just kind of have to focus on what you can control. 
the, um, I was just going to say the, the concept of, of um, kind of decentralized, I want to say like decentralized LinkedIn or decentralized job review, you know, is really starting to speak to me after hearing what you have to say. Like if there was a way for, you know, your peers to build your reputation and have incentives to be truthful and, um, you know, participate, like that could be extremely powerful. I know there's some pretty cool, like decentralized uh, communities that are being built, like GM.xyz. Um, and eventually there's going to be a token, but, you know, it's, it's something that I'm starting to, like my wheels are starting to turn. I, I have a feeling, Simon, it's something you spent a lot of time on being, you know, a DAO member, um, but like how, you know, what kind of kind of DAO tooling do you say, do, do you see like as a huge gap? Um, I know, I know you probably were involved with every, you know, day-to-day -day function of, of a DAO from like the finance to communication to business development, et cetera, et cetera. So like, what do you see as like some of the hugest gaps for DAO tooling? So I think, my 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 thoughts on Dow tooling have evolved a lot. You know, last year I, I was very like minimalist with it. I said, you know, we have the tools we have, like let's not overcomplicate things. Like we don't need that more much more stuff. Um, but increasingly I see it as like Dow tooling is like the software layer of abstraction that exists on top of these communities. And you need that layer of abstraction to like allow people to like like normal people to interface with it and interact with the technology. Cause it's like, if it's all just a multi-sig and like a random telegram channel, like, yes, you're, you know, your 10 insiders are going to be able to figure it out and they're going to be able to drive value, but like nobody else is. And we're at the point in crypto where I think it's really dangerous to establish these communities around like, just like, 10 like super crypto insiders who've already made it right because at that point they're already working on other projects they have their own things going they're like hustling across the board like they're not going to be able to provide that like level of momentum and energy that you know somebody who's a little newer to the space is going to be able to provide like they might have the experience but like you need to be able to harness like the thousands of people that are coming into this every day and that's what dow tooling does So it sounds to me like you are, you're a fan of kind of broad communication medium um, and broad participation. And, you know, what, what worked for, for index? Um, you know, if somebody wasn't able to keep up with the discord or a telegram channel on a daily basis, like how are you able to engage sort of the, the not full-time DAO members or community members, um, and continuously get good feedback and contributions. Um, you know, what, what media work for you? So I think when, when you think about how, like, so something I think about a lot is like how energy builds in crypto, right. And how like certain projects gain or like a DAO gains momentum. And I, like, when I think about it, it's like, there's really three main mediums that exist in crypto where like communication is shared. You have Telegram, you have Discord, and you have Twitter. And all three like have a very different purpose and a different use and, and need to get leveraged in the right way, like as a DAO grows. 
so like telegram is like i don't know know how into telegram you are but like you can get super sucked into like one channel in telegram like you can get like 10 20 people on that one channel and just be like the momentum just builds right so when i think of how a dow starts like it kind of starts in these really small private channels that are like 10 people just like really hashing out an idea. And then it kind of moves to discord and discord's like where the magic happens, right? Like that's where the community comes together. That's where like you start getting new people in. That's where like a lot of information is shared. It's like projects are getting spun up. Like that's where the magic is. And then, you know, you move to Twitter where it's much more of like a broadcast platform, right? You're like bringing, you know, you're evangelizing your message to the broadest possible, um, to the broadest possible like group. And, you know, for a DAO to be really successful, you have to do all three really well. You have to like harness a ton of energy in like a small chat and just like, you can't let that dissipate. You can't just go to Twitter and tell everybody about it. You have to like build the energy. And then you have to like, you know, create the magic in the discord. You have to create that community, that environment, like that game that people can play for hours on end every day. And then from there, you have to be able to evangelize it across like the broader or the broader community, like the broader communication channels like Twitter and start to like really bring people in and keep people up to date. That makes sense. Yeah, so like um, in terms of index co-op, like the, the community has obviously grown a ton. The DAO itself in terms of its organization structure has blossomed and, and grown a ton. Like how is, has it been difficult in terms of all of the different decision-making within the DAO and ensuring that, um you know, things are moving forward in a meaningful way and in an efficient way as how has that been going in line with the scaling of the DAO? I mean, has it been, I imagine there's been some difficulty in ensuring all community members are aware of what's happening in one working group. And I'm saying working group because I've looked through some of the index co-op documents and see that you have multiple working groups. Um, yeah. So if you could just talk about communication within the DAO and sort of, uh, the pain points there and, and, and difficulties and, and where it's worked a little bit. So DAOs move at like the speed of governance. So if you think about like how a traditional corporation, like a traditional corporation moves, like the cadence is set by the quarterly board meetings, right. Or the investor calls. And that's kind of like what everything in a traditional corporate corporation or orients off of. What do you think of a DAO? Everything orients off of governance and votes and you can only really move as fast in the DAO as as like as like the pace of is your governance cadence, and that becomes very difficult to manage as you start to like move really fast with these organizations, because you know there's a lot of decisions that might like a lot of decisions that maybe need votes, maybe don't need votes, but are like being raised to the community and like becomes very difficult for like the average person to keep up with all the decisions that need to be made across the organization. And like, this is a huge pain point at Index Co-op. It's a huge pain point across basically every large DAO. It's like, what decisions do we need the entire community to like make? 
and what decisions like need to be made at like a smaller level and don't need like full community oversight. Um, we're still very much like honing in on that. Um, and I think like, that's going to be the difference maker between like a really successful DAO and a less successful DAO. It's like, how do you, you know, speed up the decision-making and also make sure that like the right decisions are getting highlighted at the right level. Yeah. It's almost like the, what needs to be on chain versus where can you delegate responsibility to just, you know, move fast and break things. Totally. Totally. Like picking on that question a little bit, you know, I don't, what do you think about, you know, the, the role of a token in proposing new governance initiatives? Um, obviously the majority of DAO governance is, you know, determined by the number of votes. And that's typically based on how many tokens a, an individual has or, or has locked. But what about, you know, the actual role of a token in proposing um, initiatives. Is that something that you guys have thought about or maybe something personally you, you've considered, you know, if, if that person doesn't have enough uh, of, of you know, skin in the game, they shouldn't even be able to say, come up with this, this idea that we need to take to, to vote. Yeah. So, I mean, at one level, I think we weigh over index on just like voting in general and like using tokens as a voting mechanism. Um, and we try and like force voting like too early in the process. Like, I think like a DAO that's like six months old, like there shouldn't be a million token votes, right? Like there maybe one or two every, every month, but like you, you don't need to vote on every decision. Um, when it comes to gating like proposals with token votes, I think that's very effective, right? Like, I think we absolutely like if you want to be making big decisions for a project, like you, you need like a baseline, you know, a, a base layer of ownership in that project. However, you know, what we do see is like random, like a random person who just joined the discord and has like 10 tokens, they don't have like the context to make a really impactful um, like governance decision. And even if they propose it, like there's so many people with high context and high ownership that like, those proposals don't really get anywhere. Like you really need everybody on board to get a, a good proposal going. Sure. Yeah, I could also have the um, the the, uh, the liquidity <laughs> creates a problem too. It's like people can can come and go as they please, and you know, a token it didn't necessarily uh, demonstrate expertise or or experience. So, I see what you mean. And what's interesting, like how, like, I think we have this idea that like DAOs need to vote on everything. And just because like you can vote doesn't mean you should vote. And we, we tend to like DAOs across the ecosystem, like tend to overvote. Like it's a huge problem. Like when you think about, you know, the company you were at ACE previously, like, how many, you know, how many times did you vote on things? Even if it was like just a team that was working on like some aspect of the company, like you weren't voting on every decision. Um, no. And like voting by itself is like, it's something we do, but it's not like inherently valuable. Right. It's sort of just an ex expected function of, 
holding a token and being part of a, a Web3 company. But no, the it's a good rhetorical question. I don't think I ever had a say in a lot of decisions that were made, or I had the only say in a lot of decisions that were made. So delegating responsibility to those who are the most informed um, often could be the most effective way to govern. Um, so now that you know, you've know you been in Web3 for a couple of years, what were the, the the roles or I would say like responsibilities that Index DAO was always looking for um, for help? Like where were their human resource needs? And, um, you know, for people that are preparing to kind of take the jump or maybe offer some of their uh, their time to working in Web3, like what are the, the major skill sets that are that are lacking? And um, I guess any any kind of color or advice for for folks who are you know looking to to make that jump so DAOs are lacking like every skill set every skill set in the world that you could name are things that people that we need and like i tell new community members as they join like i'm like don't find like what the DAO wants you to do because the DAO is not going to tell you what it wants you to do find like what you're most passionate about in the DAO and do that and like that's where people get really successful is like when they find like what they love to do in the DAO and are able to run with it. Like I'm not an accountant. I don't love accounting, but there's guys in the DAO who love nothing more than, you know, building out Excel models and doing the accounting and they're incredible at it. And that's like what the DAO does so well is it allows individuals like not to be put in a box, but to find like what they're passionate about and do it. And it's like, People like very much like, okay, I, I only have this skill set, like, unless this skill set like translates one to one to like what the DAO needs, like I won't be able to work in the DAO, but it's like, there are no skill sets that translate one to one to what the DAO needs. Like you have to create those skill sets and you have to, you know, implement them in the DAO. Yeah. Like from your, I guess from, from your uh, firsthand experience, what were some of the things that you did that you say you would never have imagined having to do, <laughs> you know, coming from like a philosophy and investment banking background, like, were you doing any, uh, you know, web development or I don't know, uh, graphic design? Like what were some of the, the things that you had to, or, or chose to participate in that, you know, you wouldn't have in, into the, the traditional world? A huge area for me has been, you know, focusing on like our international development and like bringing in like different communities, like from across like the world and getting them really involved. Um, so it's like, you know, last summer I was doing like an AMA with, with a crypto Africa group and there are like 10,000 people on it asking me about crypto. And that's the type of thing that you would never like, like no DAO is like, nobody's going to say, Hey, like we need a guy to go do like, you know, AMAs in Malaysia and Africa and China and like get these people involved, right? Like that's not the type of like, nobody would even think about that. But, you know, it, it just kind of popped up. It was a need and like, we've seen tremendous international growth from, you know, the effort that a lot of people have made to like reach out to these communities and like build relationships there. And um, like, that's like, like a great example of just kind of like finding, finding an area where you can exert some leverage and just pushing. That's really incredible. You said... 10,000 people on a call. It was crazy. It was, it was, it was absolutely insane. And I imagine you were up at like, uh, I don't know, midnight or something delivering that. <laughs> exactly. It's like midnight, you know, middle of the night you have all, and like, 
they use totally different emojis. They're asking totally different questions. They have a totally different perspective. And wow. uh, it's so fun. It's so cool. Yeah. And it's funny you say like the emojis culture is different because I, I recall working for a company that was Finnish and we had to go through cultural training every year. Um, you know, the way people speak to you or interact with you are different and you couldn't get offended and you had to be understanding, but learning how to communicate on a cultural level in web three, I mean, <laughs> talk about new web tooling right there. I doubt tooling right there. That's, that's wild. Totally. Like you'll be talking to like a team in China and like every single emoji they use is totally different than the emojis you use. And you're like, wait, how do I like, what am I supposed to send? And then you, you know, you figure it out. Yeah. It's like, is it validation or did I really just drop the ball? Like, what does this mean? Emoji culture. Yeah. I never thought about that. There's definitely differing emoji cultures. When, when emoji Dow, cause I'm, I'm <laughs> um, Simon, I want to ask you, so within the index Dow, like in practice, you know, we've talked about people coming in, showing initiative, you know, making meaningful, contributions but um there's got to be some sort of incentive for them to do that and i assume it comes in some form of compensation like how does that work within index you have someone that comes in they start making great contributions they're showing initiative they've 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 been there for a good while like are they do they receive some form of compensation are there people within the dow that are working full time for index and and how are they paid can you talk about that a little bit yeah. So initially when we started, what, since it was so small, what would happen is all the contributors would like submit like a sheet at the end of every month of saying, Hey, this is what I did for index co-op. Um, and that was like, that worked very well when we had like 10 or 20 people. And it was like very easy to allocate that. Um, in, I think March of last year, we brought on four full-time contributors, uh, myself included, and those contributors were paid like a monthly stipend worth of index and then had like a certain amount of uh, tokens vested to them. And, you know, since then, we've kind of merged to like both models where we have around 25 full-time contributors who are paid in index and, and some USDC. And then we have like a broader ecosystem of part-time contributors who essentially submit the work they've done every month. And, and that gets approved by like various working groups to pay them. It's interesting. So like people are paid with in index tokens, essentially. I think that's how you have to do it. Like if you want to scale like these networks, like you want to scale like ownership and equity. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and they get paid a portion in USDC is how you guys are doing it now? Yeah, it depends. Like, you know, I I am a governance token maximalist. Like I've only ever really been paid in the governance token. Um, but you also have to be cognizant that people have like real lives and have to like pay bills and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, cool. I, I, I wanted to bring something up. It's a little bit off topic, but um, I've noticed on your uh, Twitter uh, page something pop up recently uh, served out um, which looks pretty cool do you want to talk about that a little bit it seems like it just launched in the last week or so 
Yeah, I'm super hyped about Served Out. Um, so, you know, when I, I was first ju- jumping into, into Web3, I was like, very much wanted to like demarcate like my prior professional life with my crypto life. I was like, you know what? I'm a crypto bro now. I do tech. That that part of my life is over the the military side. And uh, then this winter, a couple guys reached out who were, um, you know, talking about launching a uh, like a web th- a, a DAO to onboard veterans into Web three. And that really struck a chord with me. I remember you know being in Hawaii, hearing my Marines talk about crypto, hearing them talk about um, you know, th- that opportunity. And I said, you know, there's such a huge opportunity. Like there's so many young service people, you know, 18 to 22, who I'm sure just incredibly excited about this, this space, but have no, no context, no, no place to like, kind of really start their web three journey. Um, so, you know, we, we spent the last couple of months kind of sketching out what that looks like and, and are in, you know, the very early stages of launching it and starting to starting to get the community really involved. That's cool. So it's a place where veterans can come. They're, they're around, you know, other veterans and, and can all learn about Web3 and crypto together. Super neat. Totally. And I mean, we're, we're going to scale it beyond that. I mean, I think we're, we're going to do a PFP to, to, to um, like NFT gate the community, ideally do, do a token launch in the next couple of months um, to be able to kind of like, you know, use it like tokens are just a coordination mechanism to be able to like coordinate all these veterans. Um, and I, and I think, so like a concept I think about a lot is like the idea of like supply side and demand side DAOs. And this is a idea that, you know, is really kind of like the baby of Peter over at 1KX. And like, the idea is that, you know, you have these kind of two different types of DAOs. So you have like a supply side DAO, which is like creating a product, right? And like su- supply side DAOs aren't that big, right? You can have 20, 30 people. And Index Co-op is really a supply side DAO. Like it creates products that people buy. But you also need demand side DAOs that, you know, provide everything else for the ecosystem, like education, onboarding, like what do you buy in the ecosystem? What products do you support? Like, how do you get involved? And I see Serve DAO as being like a great example of the demand side DAO. That's, that's that is awesome. Really cool. Yeah. I'm, I was just going to say, like, I, I spent uh, a ton of time with close friends who um, were active duty and, and are now veterans um, up at like Fort Lewis McCord um, in the Seattle area. And like, I know for a fact, like they're already crypto pilled, but they would totally glob on to, to serve now. Um, I'm also curious, like for, you know, non-veterans, is it something where you could engage uh, already crypto pilled to like sponsor veterans um, or, or sponsor, you know, supporting a veteran to get involved? Like, have you thought about that? Totally. I see it like, you know, my goal is like, you know, when I, when I joined Index Co-op and I joined, uh, when I you know got really involved in the Ethereum ecosystem, like, I think we underestimate how technical it still is, right? Like the majority of people who are really deep in this ecosystem are, are very technical people or have like, you know, a deep finance background, or they've just been in it so long, like, you know, like you guys that like, you just like kind of intuitively understand things. And, um, you know, it's important that like, we really start to break down these barriers and like, really figure out like, hey, like, how do we make this space is like welcoming for people from all sorts of different backgrounds as possible? Because like, those are the people we need to take crypto from something that you know, a couple million people are really into, into something that like truly changes the world. 
totally. I, I think one thing that, you know, Web3 has an appetite for, but hasn't quite, you know, hasn't quite materialized yet is, is on the community service and philanthropy side. And I would personally be stoked to get an opportunity or a platform to just speak to somebody who's, you know, wants to get their feet wet, um, who hasn't taken the red pill yet. Um, you know, and I've, I've got a community called Etherpy that I manage. It's just a discord for people that are crypto curious and want to see where they can find a new De DeFi opportunity, new, new yield farm, ask questions. Um, but having an engaged and active audience is like something I would, I would absolutely love to contribute to. So, um, you know, that's something that you should, uh, think about incorporating and, and certainly come back, uh, <laughs> and hit me up if you're looking for speakers or, you know, someone who pr can provide an anecdote about how to get involved and, and really make this kind of the, either a, a part-time hobby that, uh, helps them learn new skill sets and maybe make some money or even go full-time. 100% like Ace, what you're talking about, about like educating people and like bringing them on and having like a discord, like we, there's so many people in the world that we need to reach, right? Like there's millions and millions and millions of people. And like, we need as many communities that do education and do onboarding and like do outreach as humanly possible. Um, you know, I think something that we, we really, you know, when you get really deep into crypto, you tend to just kind of talk to other people who are really deep as well. And you kind of lose this skill set of being able to like really simplify this technology and explain it in, in really understandable ways to like people who don't have that background. And we need more people who can educate. We need more people who can onboard. Like that's one of the biggest like shortfalls in crypto right now. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so incredibly grassroots. I don't, I don't really know why it is this way. Um, but it's, it's much more, I guess, comfortable for someone to get involved through to somebody they trust, um, versus say, you know, there's this new app I can download and, uh, throw my money into it. it it's, it's a, it's a very, I guess, perhaps it's because of the nascency of the industry, people still don't quite know if it's for real or trust that it's going to be around. Um, so yeah, it's, it's going to take that evangelizer personality and, and, and the grassroots movement to really kind of go full, full steam ahead into the mainstream. Yeah. I mean, I try and like, like, that's why I try and every time somebody reaches out on Twitter or discord, like I always try and take the call with them. Right. Like those are the most important, like the, your most important call of the week isn't with, you know, the partner at some like, you know, crypto VC fund or like the founder of some protocol. The most important call of the week is with somebody who like just learned what ethereum was last week and wants to learn more because like that call like changes somebody's life absolutely yeah. love it yeah man it's very cool um i want to ask you with your uh military background like what parts of um your experience in the marines you know are helping you you think these days or it's it's just an interesting juxtaposition your your past being in, in such a rigid hierarchical environment compared to to the DAO structure and, and whether that helps you now or tell me how it's influenced you. So like when I when I worked at the investment bank um for that summer, I remember like 
and I think anybody who's worked in a traditional organization can empathize with this. I remember feeling very strongly like I was like, this is cool. The people are smart, but this is literally just like the Marine Corps with money, right? Like it's the exact same structure. And I think these really rigid hierarchies, these really rigid organizations, like they're important. I see why they exist, but they're in many ways, they're like a holdover of the 20th century where like we needed rigid hierarchy to like be able to, you know, build things. Like we didn't have the technology to like truly decentralized decision-making. We didn't have the technology to like build decentralized organizations. And, and now that we have that technology, it's like, of course we're going to do this. And um, that doesn't mean we just like leave all of the like lessons learned from, you know, thousands of years of human organization, right? Like we're not going to just like eliminate hierarchy tomorrow because, you know, we have this new, new way of organizing, which is DAOs. Like we're still going to be able to take some of those lessons learned, right? Like hierarchy is good in a lot of ways. It, it shows you who to pay attention to, whose voice to listen to. Like, you, you know, you take somebody who has a hundred thousand Twitter followers more seriously than somebody who has like 10 um, on, you know, some specific topic and like hierarchy is not a hundred percent bad, but we, we just have to like rethink our relationship to hierarchy and like who is in that hierarchy and like what, what puts them at what level in that hierarchy, like kind of going back to the resume thing that Ace was talking about, like, what is a DAO resume? Like what puts you where on the hierarchy? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, we definitely need hierarchies for sure. And I mean, I think it's the the DAO structure is born out of this ability to, you know, coordinate with other humans in, in such rapidly more efficient manner than we were able to in the past. And I think that sort of breaks down the traditional hierarchy that we've, you know, been dealing with and are more familiar with in the regular corporate world, maybe that existed and was built prior to there being an online world. So that's interesting, yeah. Well, it's kind of like, the way I think about it is decentralization is really a way, it's like really the only technology we have for navigating like the complexity of the 21st century. So like when I think about that, like think about even 10 years ago in 2010, like 2000 or the early 2000s or the 90s, like the world was, is like a thousand X more complex today than it was, you know, 10 years ago. And what we're really seeing today in modern society is we're seeing like the breakdown of like traditional organizations ability to navigate that complexity. We're seeing like, Hey, like these decision-making processes are so complex for modern organizations that like any one individual who's in charge of it, is not going to have the ability to navigate that complexity. And the only way we're able to navigate that complexity is like through decentralized organizations that like split it up into a bunch of tiny, like manageable decisions that like independent groups can make that like coalesce into like a broader organizational decision-making. that's not like driven just one individual. That's um, that's like an excellent place, I think to kind of, to wind this down, Simon. And I'm like, I was going to ask you about what you think this space looks like in five years, but you're, you're like already five years ahead mentally. And I think, you know, big sky seven needs to be become the philosopher <laughs> <laughs> ironically. And actually, because, you know, I know that you did go to school for philosophy. Um, but yeah, I guess 
any anything any parting words advice you have for uh listeners of the deus ex dao um would uh would love to have you back sometime to say you know and, and hear about how things have progressed for you personally and and with with whatever's next but i'll give you uh, i'll give you the floor so we are living through a like a world changing revolution right now like the the advent of bitcoin the advent of decentralized ledgers like the the ability to transfer value globally like these are this is arguably the biggest technological revolution since like the Gutenberg press, like 500 years ago, like this is going to change everything. And, you know, when we're, we're very focused sometimes in crypto on like the day to day, like what's happening, like trying to stay up to date, trying to catch up with the trends, trying to like figure out what the new hot thing is. And, and we never take the time to zoom out and say, Hey, like we're changing the world forever. Like they will be writing history books about this time 500 years from now, a thousand years from now. Like there will be people that will be listening to, you know, all these podcasts, all these things, you know, and this is like the cutting edge of the cutting edge. This is where the world is changing. And, you know, we, we can't take that lightly. Like we really have to embrace the mentality that like we are forever changing the world. Like this is a radical shift in human history and, like we need to hone in on like, how do we communicate that to people? How do we bring more people on board? How do we get this revolution as big as possible? How do we make it so it can change the lives of every single person on this planet? Like, how do, like, do I believe in it personally enough to make those changes happen? And, you know, I think if, if, if I were to communicate anything to people listening to this podcast, it's, it's that like, you know, really take some time to zoom out and like, think about this revolution, think about what it means and think about like what it is going to take over the next five years, over the next 10 years, over the next, you know, five decades to, to, to make this revolution a true reality and like shape human history forever. Mic drop. Simon, Simon Judman, you're a legend. I appreciate you uh, blessing us with your time. And you, guys, you guys are going to want to follow at big sky underscore seven on Twitter. That's right. <laughs> legend already, but even bigger legend in the making. Um, thank you so much, Simon. It's been a, it's been a real pleasure getting to know you today. And we're, uh, we're very excited to have you as part of the, the crypto revolution. Um, we'll be there with you every step of the way. Thanks, guys. That was super fun. Um, I hope I hope you're hyped for 2022. We are all going to crush it so hard. Love it, man. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Thanks, guys.